Today is Tuesday, September 18th, 2018. Time for episode 62 of the Barnhart Podcast. It has been such a slow news week. Um, just a little bit of rain in North Carolina and uh, the Philippines and and, um, and uh, Hong Kong. I suppose, are those storms really much of a comparison to what's going on in the church? Or maybe are they the consequence of what's going on in the church? I mean, the more we sin, the more we're going to have nature punishing us. Well, I'm... I'm real big, and I used to give this lecture in my cattle marketing schools that, you know, I don't think there's been any significant increase at all in especially meteorological phenomenon. Um, I think the only thing that has increased is the 24-hour news media. And in fact, I saw I saw a news story within the last week that said exactly that, that there have been no, there's no increased incidence of hurricanes, tornadoes, X, Y, Z. In fact, there's several parameters, and I think hurricanes is one of them, where it's actually less. If you think about it, there's we've just come off of a off of a huge um, drought, isn't the right word, but there was a span from like the middle 2000s, from like Katrina and all that, until not too terribly long ago, where there were no hurricanes that made landfall on the East coast of the United States, just none. There were none for, I think it, it was, I want to say 10 years or maybe a little bit over 10 years. They didn't have a single one. Well, nobody talks about that, but then, you know, you've got, um, and cracks me up. You see the, um, the guy, I don't know if he was on the weather channel or if he was a local news. No, that, um, that was Anderson Cooper. Was it was it Anderson Cooper talking about who the guy was in, like, the like guy in bracing the ditch? him, break, bracing himself, and then the the people are just walking across oh, in the okay. background. There were a couple. <laughs> there were a couple of things. There was the guy on the Weather Channel who was like screaming into his microphone and leaning in, like he's about mm-hmm, to fall, mm-hmm. be blown away the other way. And a couple of people in and tracksuit and shorts kind of walk by in the background, looking at him like, "What's your problem?" Yeah. <laughs> yep. There were a couple uh, of great memeable moments that came out of, out of North Carolina. I mean, it's, it's not like what happened down there is just like a, a summer rainstorm. I mean, I was joking about that in the opening, but it's it, they're getting catastrophic rain, like four feet of rain. Yeah. Which and, is like and two people, and a half meters. People have died. And, and, you know, with, with these things, people, a lot of people just refuse to evacuate. And, um, yeah, people die. When you have a nation of 350 million people, um, you're going to have um, meteorological events, you're going to have fires, you're going to have this, you're going to have that. Um, and I would always encourage the, the guys and, you know, there were some women who came to my cattle marketing schools, but mostly the guys who came to my cattle marketing schools to remember and not, not fall for this hysteria that, oh, this is so terrible. And especially with cattle, what's, what, is especially um, what they pound on is drought, 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 drought. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. This is the worst drought in the history of humanity. This drought is so bad that no vegetation will ever grow again. I mean, I mean, it literally gets to this point and you just have to keep reminding these guys, you've got to keep your feet on the ground. You have to stay grounded in reality. You have to understand that in all meteorological systems, there are upper extremes and lower extremes you oscillate wildly between the upper and lower extreme it works out to a very steady average and when you have for example a year that that is a terrible drought you can 
basically bank on the fact that within the next probably three years, you're going to have an offsetting year of above average wetness that's going to offset all this. So you can, you don't just sit there and navel gaze and despair and say, I, I'm a victim of, of this horrific catastrophic blah 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 no this this is just how it is man this is the weather dude you have to deal with this you have to manage it you have to manage it as as a variable in your business model you acknowledge that these things happen and you're thinking in advance and you know the interesting thing about how cattle marketing works into all that is that meteorology and specifically you know rainfall grass abundance etc cetera, etc cetera, those variables drive the price. They drive the market. And so you're actually getting signals in the market about what you're supposed to do given these inputs of these meteorological systems that none of us can control. There's nothing that that mankind can do to influence the weather. And I know that there are probably people sitting, listening to me say that right now because we have all been so browbeaten for the last 20 years with this man-made climate change crap and it's it's absolute horseshit okay so their hashtag language it is absolute horseshit there is nothing that mankind can do to influence the weather nothing not, it, e- the not even the is, jews can do it say again not even the jews can do it not even the jews can do it well you know um, there, there was some moments where there was some, you know, parting of the Red Sea and all that. But yeah, no, that wasn't climate. That was water. That was that's not climate. That's a good point. That's not climate. That's not climate. There is nothing that mankind can do to influence the weather. The system is just far, far, far too massive, far too massive. And and also, excuse me, engineered, specifically engineered by God so that we can't influences so that we can't screw it up and we are supposed to be fruitful and multiply the the planet is filled with petroleum which is a which is a basically limitless resource relative to the human population condensates of methane that form in between the crust of the earth and the upper and the upper region of the mantle and methane condensates into these petrochemicals. It's all there because God put it there and he wants us to use it. And it's, it's incredibly efficient. And basically we can't, there's nothing we can do to, to mess with the, the climate. It's going to do what it's going to do. It swings back and forth. The um, ginormous, fusion ball in the sky that's called the sun that has just a tad to do with climate on earth sunspots so on and so forth solar cycles we have nothing to do with that so you know this whole thing with with the weather and everybody freaking out you know it's it's what's going to happen is going to happen. There are going to be floods. There are going to be events. Don't be an idiot. If you need to evacuate, if there is a big event coming your way, don't be stupid. Evacuate. Um, most of the people nowadays, especially it's somewhere like the United States, you know, a first world, a first world country, people who die in things like this die because they're stupid and they made an incredibly stupid decision and they didn't get out when they were told to get out. 
Um, and or they do things like they they drive into water. Um, a lot of the people you see it every time. Some idiot will drive a vehicle into into water and get swept away, and that's the end of it. So you know, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible when it happens, but it's also part of life, and it's something that you know you just have to deal with as an adult especially if you're going to be an adult who, who lives in reality. So uh, something else you have to deal with if you're living anywhere near the coast and these storms come along, yes, prepare, get out of the way if you have to. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you do decide to stick around, uh, you might want to be armed and ready because that there's of course the, the epidemics of looting going on. This is, you know, you yep. can see this one coming down Broadway. It, this is, you know, to be expected nowadays, unfortunately. I'm surprised yeah. there, haven't, there haven't been stories of vigilantes taking care of it, though. Or maybe it is, and that's just not the kind of thing this, the media wants to report, because that's the Second uh-huh. Amendment working the way it's supposed to. I think that the people who are intelligent enough to be the kind of people who would um, who would enforce the rule of law against looters are also the people who are smart enough to get the hell out. So, you know, I think the looting happens because there is that vacuum where the low IQ criminally inclined set, um, they, they are not, they're just not held back by any sense of right and wrong morality. They're so steeped in sin in their personal lives. And let's be honest, you you look at the pictures and most of the people who are looting in the Carolinas are black. I mean, you look at the pictures and it's just, it's all black people doing this because they are steeped in that satanic rap hip hop culture, lives of fornication, um, you know, drug use, etc cetera, etc cetera. sin makes you stupid it makes you stupid and the more mired in sin that you are the more blunted and then eventually non-existent your conscience is so there's just there's just nothing at this point when you look at the rap hip hop culture and how far gone that black culture in the united states is um there's just nothing holding these people back. So, you know, they see something like this and they see that they can break into, you know, Dollar General or whatever store it is. And they can go in there and they can clean out all the laundry detergent and, you know, take away all the the cheap Korean televisions or whatever it else is that's in there. And there's just there's nothing holding them back. Whereas, you know. I would hope I would assume and hope that most of the people listening to this podcast, I mean, you you genuinely do have a conscience and a sense of right and wrong. And when your concupiscence wells up inside of you and you get the urge to do something that is morally objectively wrong, there is a a visceral internal struggle, tension pain, whatever you want to call it, that for hopefully most of us, most of the time stops us where it, and for, for I would hope most of us listening, doing something like looting would just be, it's just, it's morally impossible for us to do that. It's just, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's so low. It is so low bordering on animalistic that we just, 
morally sane people just cannot do that. Um, and it's not and, limited just to black people. It's, it's more of a culture and a stupidity thing, to be honest. And yeah. it, if there is any stereotype of a strong matriarchal presence um, in, in terms of literally smacking somebody upside the head for, for, for doing things, maybe I'm, maybe my uh, knowledge only goes back to the movies in the mid nineties, but it was, it was the, the, the black grandmother who would literally yeah. beat the living daylights out of his, out of their godson or grandson for, mm-hmm. for doing something wrong that that's the kind of good influence. I mean, I'm not saying go beat your kids or grandkids, but maybe if they need it, maybe it's, it's a good thing. I mean, but, I'm I mean, sure there were some yeah, people who set straight. And, it's, but you, you, you hit on, on the point with mentioning uh, the culture. That's really the, the, the point of it. it. It's, it's, it's not the, the race per se. There's an unfortunate overlap between the, the culture there. I mean, there's there going to be white people out there. Um, oh, sure. And, and, oh, sure. Uh, probably yeah. whatever other races are out there. Probably not so many Jew, uh, Jews and Chinese because they're probably busy uh, collecting their, their school books. But um, <laughs> there are no Jews in the Carolinas. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm sure there's ten. There's I don't know. A, I, I'm half sure a dozen. You bet. No, Charlotte's a big Charlotte's a big area. There's there's also research triangle. Some really big universities. I'll bet I'll bet they're quite. A, there's there's a sizable community there. Well, and they're the ones that are driving from Florida, from their retirement village in Florida, up to um, up to New York or wherever it is they live up in New England. So there's the people, there's the Jews passing through on the interstate. Oh, there's a bunch of those. There's a bunch of those. But, you know, yeah, you, you, maybe around the universities there are a few Jews, but not too many. I was going to say something else, but we'll just go on to the, that, that's not really the point of this but, podcast. But, but, what, but the, 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 I want to hit on what you, what we were talking about, about the, the strong black grandmother in a certain sense. Yes. The, the strong black matriarch who is just knocking, knocking these kids up, upside the head for a, a period in the, in the 20th century, the strong black woman grandmother was able to kind of sort of hold, you know, the black culture together. But that is a completely unsustainable paradigm. You cannot have this business in any culture where the women are having to be both the women and the men. And I th- we were talking about this earlier today in a different context. I can't remember what it was. But this business where the women have to be the men because the men due to, well, you know, uh, due to a lot of things, due to, you know, the infiltration of co- of communism into the culture, which then manifested with LBJ and the Great Society and the welfare state and just taking black men and just completely effeminizing them. And this is a this is a really good point about the difference between feminine, the word feminine and the word effeminate. Um, black men in the rap hip hop culture in the United States are all completely effeminate. It's not that, they, and what that does not mean is that they're a bunch of swishing fags because they're all fornicating with women. I mean, and they're all doing this fake macho crap, and, and I mean, it's just pathetic. They're effeminate in the sense that they won't do anything that that will in any way cut into their quote unquote personal pleasure. So if they don't want to get a job, if they don't want to work, if they don't want to be responsible, if they don't want to take care of their children, if all they want to do is lay around the house, smoke weed and screw, then don't forget the Madden video games. 
and Madden video games, then they will not do anything that cuts into that quote unquote, those, those pleasures, those sensual pleasures that they enjoy. And, that and is phrasing, what effeminacy is. And phrasing it the other way, the, the effeminate man cannot uh, endure the arduous uh, thing to, to how, how is that phrased? Uh, cannot perform the arduous good. So remaining celibate before getting married, um, <laughs> gee, that's contrary to, to, um, to following your pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they just, they see female flesh and it's just, and it's a, to this, at this point now, the response is truly animalistic. And again, that is pushed in the culture. That's a function of, um, evolution and this, this propaganda of evolution and trying to convince absolutely everyone that we are in fact animals and that we're not rational intellects created in the image of likeness of image and likeness of God, and that we should be exactly like animals. And just, you see flesh of the same species of the opposite sex, and you just are completely out of control and cannot control yourself and should not be expected to control yourself. Um, and so, you know, all of these things come together, but going back, I, I really wanted to bring home that point about the fact that the, the strong black grandma admirable as she might have been for those 50 years in the mid to late 20th century, where she did in fact kind of hold black families together in a certain sense you can see now that that's all just falling apart that generation of black strong grandmas is basically dying off now you're into a next generation of the girls who were coming up and growing up in the 80s and 90s i think i mentioned this on a previous podcast i was looking at the newspaper where i grew up like last year and I, I, I was, it was looking online and I saw the obituaries and I saw a name that I kind of recognized from when I was in school and I clicked and I read the obituary of this woman. And sure enough, this woman was the mother of a girl that I was in school with. So this girl is the same age that I am. And I read this obituary and this is, this is a black woman, a black girl that I was in school with. I read this obituary the girl that I was in school with had a five-year-old grandchild, a five-year-old grandchild. So I'm, I'm 41. I'm getting ready to turn 42. We're talking about in terms of the black community now, because they have their, they start having these kids when they're 15, 16 years old. Um, girls my age are now the quote unquote strong black grandmother and they're, they're expected to fill that role. But look, look at the culture that they grew up in. We're talking about people who are my age. So, you know, elementary school in the early eighties, junior high in the late eighties, high school in the, in the early nineties, that's the culture, you know, that they came up in. That's what's supposed to be producing these quote unquote strong black grandmothers that are going to hold the black, the black American culture together. No way, man. 
absolutely no way it's it and it's it's just going to get worse and keep falling and falling and falling apart until i don't know what's going to happen the supernatural intervention hey there's a segue for you (laughs) i was gonna say take a picture of everything now because in 30 years you're gonna look back and say these were the good old days when people had a little sense to just not shoot people on site to take their stuff yep And, you know, there's something to be said for, um, you know, when you get into situations where looting does become possible, there is something to be said. And if I were, you know, Holy Roman Emperor or whatever it was, and I was waving, waving my my uh, magic wand or whatever and issuing emergency law in times of hurricane or something like that, when you do declare that you can shoot looters on site um there's something to be said for that there's something to be said for shoot to kill looters by law enforcement um yeah or or business owners i mean i remember during the the los angeles riots um the koreans the koreans defended themselves they had i don't they had ars and they they were armed and they they would take sks's but sks's okay and they would take positions up on the roofs of their of their buildings and their shops. Hey, at ten, and they, at ten they, meters in SKS is no joke. Yeah, yeah. So you know something to be said for it. Um, but again, I think all the intelligent people just cleared out of of the Carolinas. So there you go. Well, I, I wouldn't argue with that necessarily. But then again, I I. It's tongue in cheek. I, I have a anti East Coast bias because I was born on the West Coast, but that's not like not like there's a whole lot of intelligence out there either. I mean, we're it's uh, just yeah. dark times all the way around. Yep. Uh, okay, so the question of the week that came in by email, and it probably segues in with some of the other the the main topics here. It, this was something that was submitted for Ask Anne, but I have a feeling this just goes too well with the the notes for tonight. Anne, how can you be still be Catholic with everything going on in the church? Well, you know, I wrote a response to it and it went viral. Um, and my the web traffic on barnhart.biz is like it's at unprecedented it's holding at unprecedented levels, you know, breaking this this information with the help of the just the fantastic Argentinians who are, you know, working their little fingers to the bone, um, scouring the internet, you know, getting us the information about Bergoglio's past in Argentina and all that um, with all of that, because I'm really the only person in the Anglosphere who's publishing any of this. So everybody is now coming to barnhart.biz looking for more breaking news about Bergoglio's history in Argentina. So traffic at barnhart.biz is the highest it's at the highest level by far holding i mean i've had spikes but it's holding at the highest level that it's been at since i switched to wordpress which is like five years ago now i think um i don't i don't actually know what my traffic levels were when i like did the Koran burning or when the mf global thing i mean i'm it was probably higher than it is now but um this is by far the highest that traffic has been for the last five years and it's just holding. Um, and so, you know, all these people are now emailing in and some, some of the emails are nasty and they're like, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're an idiot, blah, da, da. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Um, but a lot of them are coming in and saying, Anne, why are you still Catholic? 
you're, and a lot of them say, and I'm not, I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I, I just want to be fair to the people who are emailing in. A lot of them say, you're, you're really intelligent, Anne. Why, why don't you get this? Why don't, why aren't you able to look at the Catholic Church the way you look at the government, you know, the, the financial industry, which you threw your hands up and walked away from? You seem to not have any problem you know, objectively looking at these other structures in society, why do you have this blind spot and why are you not able to have the same ability to recognize the corruption in the Catholic Church and walk away from it? It's a fair question. I mean, to me, it seems, (laughs) uh, well, I mean, to me, it seems so elementary. It's kind of, I kind of feel sad that I have to answer it. But it, then again, I, I can understand. I mean, I'm a convert. I'm, I'm a convert. I can understand how people are looking from the outside in and even people who are inside the Catholic Church, you know, people who are Novus Orduus and, you know, that's sad. There are even some trads um, who are who are throwing up their hands and saying, this is this is all a joke. This is corrupt. We have to get out of this. And, you know, so I felt, yeah, I, I it is morally incumbent upon me to respond to this. This is a great time to do it because, you know, traffic levels are so high. A lot of people are going to see it. And sure enough, the piece did, in fact, go viral. And, you know. Long story short, when you're talking about the church, you're talking about a supernatural reality that applies only to the Catholic Church. It doesn't apply to any government. It doesn't apply to the financial industry, obviously. It doesn't apply to anything else. It only applies to the church founded by Jesus Christ which is his mystical body and his bride. You have to have the the ability to think with nuance, step back, pull back your focus, and make the distinction between the supernatural reality of the church and everything else. Because there's the church sitting alone by itself, supernatural reality, And then there's everything else. Nothing else has that same supernatural quality or characteristic to it. You have to be nuanced enough to see the difference between those two things. And then within the context of the church itself, you have to be able to step back and see the difference between the institutional church and the the spotless, immutable incorruptible bride of Christ. And people look, you know, listen to that and say, how in the world can you, Anne, in the same breath, be yelling and screaming that the Vatican is literally a gay bathhouse, which it is. It absolutely is. It is a gay bathhouse. They are in there. They are having gay orgies. All throughout the Vatican complex, they are having they are having sodomy inside St. Peter's Basilica itself. Itself. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely true. I've known this now for years. I've been aware of this for years. There is Satanism. We all know we've talked many times about Malachi Martin and Windswept House and his his basically reportage of the satanic rituals 
that went on inside the Vatican, and there continue to be black masses that happen inside the Vatican. The Vatican right now is the global seat of the practice of Satanism. It's in the Vatican. That is the global hub of it right now. Okay. And as an aside, I just want to say that whatever happens, I mean, if there's supernatural intervention, you know, obviously there will be supernatural intervention and these things will all be taken care of. If there is some sort of a um, supernatural, but but in a certain sense, natural disaster that destroys um, Rome and the Vatican, earthquake, some, something of that nature, and it just all comes physically crumbling down and will have to be physically rebuilt. Okay. If not, if this just continues to grind and process, but but we are able somehow to um, evict the anti-church from the physical spaces of the Vatican and Rome and all of these churches, let me tell you folks what is going to have to happen, what has to happen with St. Peter's, the entire Vatican. It is going to have to be exercised and it's all going to have to be reconsecrated. Every altar is going to have to be reconsecrated Everything, absolutely everything, mass exorcisms and mass reconsecrations of all this stuff, because there's been, I mean, the Vatican, because it is operating as a gay bathhouse and because it is the seat of, of the practice of Satanism right now, there have been things that have gone on in there. And of course, there's no, there's never going to be any videographic evidence of anything, but we're going to have to assume that the entire thing has been so massively corrupted that we're just going to have to go in and if it's all still standing and, you know, musloids don't come and invade or something like that and we're able to get possession of this stuff and genuinely get these people evicted, then we're going to have to go in and do mass exorcisms, like serious exorcisms, and reconsecrate everything. So just be thinking about that. So back to the question of why am I still Catholic? Well, if you're able to make the distinction between all of these things, there's nothing that any of these sodomites, there's nothing that, that any of these people can do that is taking anything away from the supernatural reality, the objective truth, and the beauty, goodness, justice, all of it that is that is the the supernatural church and so and you know also you know jesus christ do you, do you have a personal relationship with jesus christ well, it's even, his church even the Go protestants ahead. have this line memorized when when uh, everyone abandoned jesus after the the miracle uh, when jesus said uh, uh take and eat of my flesh mm -hmm. and jesus turned to the apostles and said are you going to leave me also y'all know the line even though you're not catholic this is the clue right here. Christ is saying it not just to his apostles, but to all of us through history when things hit the fan. Yep. Yep. And what Peter in one of the three greatest acts of faith in the history of humanity, the other two being number one being our lady's fiat at the annunciation when she said, be it done to me according to thy word. Um, th then the other one is um, Abraham and Isaac, that other act of faith. Three is Peter, where, yeah, our Lord has just, he's at the, the top of his earthly power. He's got thousands and thousands of people. The apostles are convinced 
that this is going to seriously turn into a complete political revolution whereby Jesus is going to be enthroned on this on the throne of David as the new king of Israel and he is going to raise an army and throw all of the Romans out and they're all going to be these princes of Israel because they're in his his uh, inner circle and all this so all these thousands of people are there and our Lord gives the Eucharistic discourse and says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood over and over and over again. And then he switches the verb. He switches from you must eat my flesh to you must gnaw and chew my flesh. And just to make sure everybody realizes he's, he's completely serious and not speaking figuratively and he repeats himself, go, go into John 6 and count it up. I think by my count, he repeats himself 14 times, 14 times. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And all the Jews stand up and say, this cat is nuts. We are out. All the apostles are crestfallen. Our Lord walks over. He looks at him and he says, well, are you going to go too? And Peter and all the rest of them have absolutely no idea what he was talking about in terms of the Eucharistic discourse. It was just, they were just like, what? We don't, we've never heard any of this before. We don't understand what you're saying. We don't know what you're talking about. They didn't have any forewarning. They didn't have any, they didn't go into, into this expecting, expecting anything about, you know, eat my flesh, drink. They're just, they're just standing there slack jawed. And our Lord walks over and says, well, are you all going to take off too? And Peter, God love him. Literally God love him. Peter says, where else are we going to go? You are the truth. You are the son of the living God. Where else are we going to go? And, you know, but the thing that I worry sometimes that people, when, when we talk about that, you know, Peter's, Peter's statement there in John six, that I think sometimes a lot of Catholics even hear that as like, you know, shrug your shoulders. Yeah, this sucks. Where else are we going to go? But that, that's not what it is. It's not, yeah, this sucks, where else are we going to go? Even right now, when the anti-church is in ascendancy, um, you know, Pope Benedict is, is you know, being held in, in some quasi-cell, having been uh, coerced into this fake resignation crap, um, Pope Benedict is sitting there, apparently to his mind, unable to, unable to, you know, administer the church. You've got an anti-pope who is just, you know, at this point, we're exposing the fact that this guy is up to his eyebrows in, in child sex trafficking and, and pedophilia. I mean, you know, we, it's funny early on in the, um, Bergolian anti-papacy, I used to say to people when we were having conversations about this, you know, what is it going to take? Is it going to take him appearing on the loggia of, of the balcony there of, of St. Peter's and literally raping a boy? Is it going to take that? 
for you all to, you know, snap out of this. And, and I was using it obviously as just a, a, a rhetorical device of extreme hyperbole. And, you know, now the weird thing is, is that it's, it's still, it's still obviously a rhetorical extreme, but now we literally are getting into the fact where we're talking about the fact and it's openly discussed. It's openly discussed on television in Argentina that Bergoglio is tied up intimately up to his eyebrows with, with child sex traffickers. And, you know, his boyfriend, Gustavo Vera, who is, who's got, you know, running the network of boy prostitutes working the gay bars of Buenos Aires. And you're just like, you know, it's, it's like satire or, or extremes and hyperbole is becoming, is be actually materializing before our eyes into a sick reality. Um, so, we, you know, we've got all of this infiltration and it's that bad. It's that bad in terms of the institutional church and the, the ascendancy of the anti-church, but the true church is, is still visibly that good. You've got the Eucharist, you go to the Holy sacrifice of the mass and it's, it's God almighty. You're, you're at, you're at Calvary. You're at Calvary. When the priest elevates the host that is God Almighty. If you're if you're able to go to U- Eucharistic adoration, that's Him. It's Him right there, physically, physically, substantially present. And, and there's just all of this, just incomprehensible beauty that can never be canceled out. That's the thing. There's nothing that Satan can do. There's nothing that the anti-church can do that can ever match in magnitude. It's evil can never match in magnitude the good of the true church. It will the true church will always be visible. Um, but but if we're but see if we're blind if we fall into error and we start confusing you know these these filthy faggots with with God Himself you know and failing to make that distinction. Uh, as a function of not having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and not believing that that our Lord is in fact God and that his promises are true and that he's never going to break his promises, including including about the papacy. He has not broken any promises about the papacy. Pope Benedict is sitting in his, you know, de facto prison cell there and he is, is he a bad Pope? Certainly. I, I mean, I've argued and will continue to argue that for what he's done for this horrible mistake that he's made, he's the worst Pope ever. He's the worst Pope ever. But I mean, you, you take all of, of the problems that Ratzinger has, all of the problems that Ratzinger has, and it is absolutely nothing compared to what anti-Pope Bergoglio does every day before 10 a.m. I mean, it's it's not even it's not even comparable. It's not even on the same scale. Um, so even with regards to the papacy, even with regards to the papacy, the Pope is still visible. Uh, Pope Pope Benedict is still visibly wearing white, going by his name, going by his papal style, living in the Vatican. Um, et cetera, et cetera. 
he's still visibly the Pope. He's still visibly the head of the church. You know, it seems obvious to me what's going on here. And he's and none of none of our Lord's promises about even the papacy have been broken. And so, you know, there that beauty is is still there and it will always be there and will always be visible because visibility is one of the one of the qualities, one of the characteristics, one of the marks of the church. So don't forget that. I mean, as as bad as this stuff gets, in a certain sense, the worse the anti-church gets, the the sharper the contrast, the greater the greater the contrast, the greater the relief. So the beauty of the true church just shines even brighter when you when you look and see the comparison between how absolutely depraved these sodomite uh, clerics and prelates and cardinals and anti-pope Bergoglio, how absolutely evil and satanic these men are and how it's now starting to manifest. Um, and then you look at the, at the beauty of the true church. Um, it seems to me that it, it just gets easier and easier to see the difference between the two as time goes on. And I, I hope that's the case. I think that's the case with a lot of people. I mean, looking, looking on, you know, keeping an eye, just, I don't have a Twitter account, but you can use your browser and you can look on Twitter and you can just see that every day when anti-Pope Bergoglio comes out and says that, you know, victims of sexual abuse and whistleblowers about sexual abuse are Satan and that he himself is like Christ being, being accused. And he like Christ is going to remain silent, uh, in the face of being accused by Satan and all the little Satans running around. I mean, this is just, people are absolutely incensed, but they're not incensed enough yet. They're not incensed enough. There needs to be physical manifestations, marches, you know, heckling, shouting down, all that kind of stuff. It needs, it needs to start happening. You just can't, what they're banking on, what they're banking on is that people are just going to lose interest 36-hour news cycle, and meh, maybe this one will last instead of 36 hours. Maybe this is going to be a few weeks. That's what they're banking on. They're also banking on the fact that it's just going to be a, a phenomenon in the United States, and that's it. And it'll it'll peter out. It'll burn out. Nobody has enough faith to actually do anything about any of this. That's what they're all banking on. They're they're running the clock. That's why anti-Pope Bergoglio said, oh, I'm going to have a synod about, you know, the protection of children. And we need to get into that little discussion here next in February. Uh, we'll, we'll do it in five months. What he's banking on, he's saying, yeah, we'll do we'll do a two day synod of bishops addressing um, protecting the young and the vulnerable from from sexual abuse Five months from now, they're trying to run the clock. They're betting that all of you out there are just lukewarm and you're going to be you're going to be up in arms maybe for a couple weeks, maybe for three weeks, four weeks, something like that. And then you're just going to forget about it. and You're going to move on to the next thing. And I, I beg, I pray every day. No, let let this anger, this righteous anger, let it grow, let it ferment, develop explode. I, I I absolutely hope that it it just explodes. We need to start having people physically going and confronting these people and shouting them down, heckling, driving them out of the sanctuary, get out, 
no more sodomite priests, get out of here, resign, go away, never show your face in public again, et cetera, et cetera. There, this whole notion that, you know, we're, we're all so developed and sophisticated that, you know, we, we just don't do things like that anymore. Now, that's a sign of our weakness. It's a sign of our effeminacy and our impotency as a culture that we don't <laughs> take to the streets. Uh, in a, in, and I mean that literally now. We should be taking to the streets and and driving this filth out, physically driving them out. And so far, it doesn't look like that's happening. But, uh, you know, let them keep talking and pissing people off and telling us all that we're Satan. And, and maybe people will start to do it. Go ahead. I did see something on social media about somebody getting up and yelling hypocrite or something literally during mass. And it, it's it's one of those points where, okay, it's not the holiest of ministers doing the most reverent version of the mass possible, but it is the mass and it's not the place in time to be. It was during the homily though. It was during the homily. Okay. So. Still you're nominally in, in a, in a chapel where the, the blessed sacrament is exposed. You're in the house of God. It's not the best place to do this. And, and um, it, you walk a fine line here. You talk about Satan being an awesome chess player here. He's got the board mm. stacked against us where, where else are you going to be able to really get in their faces? One of the mm -hmm. best protests I've seen against this, I forget the group now, I don't know if it was Catholic doctors or it was Catholic something. They, on mass, said we are no longer contributing money directly uh, to the church until this question of... I think it was the pedophilia crisis or whatever has been resolved, but it's mm -hmm. not, Hey, we're going to go spend it on vacations and, and fun and, and whatnot. They're putting it in escrow. So everything they're putting they, it in escrow. Every, yeah. It's the Legatus group. It's the Legatus group. Yeah. Everything and they I would think have donated, it's a seven figure annual donation. Yeah. yeah. So everything they would have been sending in, they are still putting it aside. It's mm -hmm. there. And if, if, if we can see anything that is true about the church now in the United States and Germany, and those are, if, if, if all American and German Catholics stopped contributing to the church, the church would be bankrupt in about 18 minutes. And that's assuming nobody even noticed for 10 minutes. It, it's cat Germany and the United States prop up the global church financially. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to get their attention, that's the way to do it. You, you make the point. I'm not going to cease donating and go spend it on something else, but I'm going to hold it in reserve or specifically put it to, you know, I, I don't know the exact way to go about doing this. I was going to say toward, uh, the, the traditional orders that, that mm -hmm. the, the few that exist that, that, uh, make priests and nuns in the traditional manner, support them. And they, they need it. They, every dollar you put to them, they're going to figure out how to, how to get $10 worth of value out of it. I, I know some of these traditional religious, they, they, it's so rare in some of these communities to see people who are young in habit, beaming of joy. You can just see mm -hmm. there's something supernaturally, supernaturally joyous about them. They show up to a store, they've got $50 and the, the manager says, okay, we've got all this other stuff we haven't been moving. Can you make use of it? So they, they yeah. end up going back to their convent with $500 of stuff when they only showed right. up with $50 and the, and, and the guy says, don't worry about it. It's on me. Yep. Exactly. If you want to really you know, multiply what your money can do, 
And, you know, don't, don't put any conditions on God. He, he, somebody gave him two fish once and he fed 5,000 people. So yep. what he can do under the right circumstances with your money is, is amazing. And as far as the people who are in the, the institutional church who, you know, are, are, have one foot in hell and one foot on a banana peel, uh, tell them you're not going to give them the money directly anymore. It's withheld until they do something. Yep. And that absolutely 100% agree. You know, I've been, that's been my position. No general tithing. I, I don't just throw money into, into the collection basket and haven't for quite a long time, precisely because, um, it, it varies from diocese to diocese, but generally from what I understand, seven, eight, 10% um, of just the general collection goes directly to the chancery. It goes quote unquote downtown. Well, I don't know. No, I'm not, I'm not sending any money downtown at, at all. No way, Jose. No way. The other point. No way, I Jorge. Wanna, huh? No way, no way, Jorge. Jorge. <laughs> Very good. Well, that's, a, that's a hashtag right there. Um, the other point I want to make, you made the point about the U.S. and Germany basically funding almost everything at this point. Here's, the, here's another point, though, about that, is that between the Kirchensteuer church tax in Germany and in the U.S., the, it's essentially a money laundering scheme whereby money is going from the federal government um, to, to the institutional corrupt Catholic Church in terms of healthcare services and now human trafficking. All of this crap of, of, of trafficking these, these um, illegal immigrants in and then paying the church X dollars per head for every single illegal immigrant that they traffic into the United States. And this is also obviously going on big time in Europe, but we're talking about, you know, and Germany is, is a large beneficiary of that too. Um, but we're talking about the U S and Germany specifically. Oh, so much of this money is actually being rooted through. Okay. So you, we all, you all, I don't, <laughs> you all pay taxes to the IRS that goes into the coffers. Also debt is being generated obviously by the federal reserve. Um, I have to mention that. So, you know, now we're probably three or four generations forward in terms of people whose lives are being leveraged by this debt creation by the central bank to create quote unquote money. Um, that then goes your tax dollars and the leveraging of your progeny. That money is going into the federal government, which then launders it back to the evil institutional anti-church through healthcare services, reimbursements, and um, and human trafficking now. Um, and the same thing is going on in, in Europe, specific, specifically in Germany. And with Germany, it's just it's so evil because it's it's pure simony. I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this, but in Germany, even though Germany is almost completely apostate now, nobody goes to mass in Germany. Um, there's this thing called the Kirchensteuer, the, the church tax. And it's like 8% of whatever your tax, whatever your income tax ends up being it's eight percent of that amount you designate as what 
church you want it to go to. And obviously, you know, half of the people in Germany are ethnically Catholic, so they've been kind of defaulted into this. Here's the deal. If you opt out, if you as a baptized Catholic opt out of the Kirchensteuer, of your church tax going to the Catholic church and instead designate it to go somewhere else, um, and there are other, you know, there are secular things that you can point it towards, so on and so forth. This this paradigm also, to a certain extent, it, it exists in Italy. Um, it's um, eight one thousandths of one percent or something like that. And Italians, the, the, the rare Italian who actually bothers to pay their taxes and file a tax return, they have a thing on their tax return where they say what church and I mean, obviously almost all Italians are Catholic. So the Catholic church or there are other secular um, options that you have to point this, this government imposed quote unquote church tax in Germany. If you are a baptized Catholic and you opt out of your tax dollars going to the Catholic church, they will not permit you to, what is it? Baptize your children get married, have a Catholic funeral. I, I, you know, you are cut off from the sacraments. You are cut off from the sacraments in Germany if you do not give your Kirchensteuer tax to the Catholic Church and you're a baptized Catholic. This is simony, pure and simple. And this has been going on. This from the country that gave us Martin Luther who had about 2% legitimate complaints and then 98% of his own garbage. But simony was one of the few things on which they actually had a leg to stand on in their arguments. The same country that gave us Luther is doing this crap. Yeah. Ironic, no? (laughs) So, you know, absolutely 100% agree with Super Nerd. Absolutely do not give any money. Uh, Tithe by tithe directly, buy, buy raw commodities, buy groceries, you know, get, give the priest an old car. I mean, there's, take them out to dinner. Good grief. There's anything you can do. Do not give, cut off completely downtown. Make sure downtown doesn't get anything. Um, talk, talk to your parish priest. If it is possible for you to somehow Pay, let's say, the electric bill for the month of October 2018. Go to the parish priest and say, I want to pay the parish's electric bill for the month of October 2018. If there's a way to do that, God bless you. Do that. Pay the electric bill. I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but almost every single parish has some kind of what they call non-taxed fund. So locally, one of them is utilities. If if you make a donation to utilities, that does there's no cut of that goes to the diocese. Mm-hmm. And the other one, if you make it to the building fund, that all stays local. And yes, mm-hmm. I realize there's arbitrage and 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 uh, or what's the term fungibility that that yes, some other money gets freed up for it to be taxed and and and, and whatnot. But uh, you can still make the the case that your money is not being taxed at that point. Yeah. Talk to father. I think that's the first thing you should do. You know, go to your parish priest and say, look, I'm, I, I want to do something here. But well, maybe he I'm, knows of an expense that would come out of parish funds that maybe you can handle directly. I mean, charity yep. straight to the source. Exactly. Exactly. So kind of tithing in kind, T-I-K, tithing in kind. Um, there's lots of things you can do there. 
so cut 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 them off but then also understand that this whole problem of how how the institutional anti-church is in bed in bed with the federal government this this is all going to have to be torn down to the ground and you know what that is going to mean in the short term there's a lot of people right now faithful catholics not just calling in addition to calling for um you know every every attorney general in every state to start begin investigations convene grand juries yes if if these sodomites won't police themselves which obviously they're not going to obviously they're not going to then people are saying at that point we have no choice but to get caesar involved i mean as bad as caesar is there comes a point when we're talking about child rape and child sex trafficking and sex trafficking. That's what this business of bringing these um, sodomite seminarians up from Colombia and South America. Um, there was a house in the two priests that were caught in Miami. We talked about this on the last, you know, they were caught in the car. They were sitting on Ocean Drive or whatever it's called. Broad daylight in a car with non-tinted windows sodomizing each other. And they were arrested. These, it turns out that they were trafficked up. They were sodomites who were brought up, I think, from Columbia to this house in Chicago. There's, there was a house in Chicago and there was another house in, I think, New Jersey that's all connected and swirling around McCarrick as well. They would pipe these sodomites they're de facto prostitutes. This is human sex trafficking. If you take a, you know, a 20-year-old Colombian faggot and say, all right, listen, we're going to pipe you up into the United States. We'll give you somewhere to live. We'll give you a salary. Um, we'll put you through seminary and have you ordained a priest. And we'll, we'll take care of you. But the deal is, is that you have to put out, um, you know, when when his excellency shows up and, you know, wants you to fillet him or worse, it, you're expected to do this. You are expected to provide entertainment. This is prostitution. This is human sex trafficking. And this segues into what the the kind of the next general block category of what we're talking about here. The argument that they're going to make is that they're adults. Well, they're over 18. The, the earth has circled the sun 18 times since the day they were born. So therefore, it's completely legal. They're grown adults. They make their own decisions, et cetera, et cetera. That's how they're going to try to weasel out of this. It is prostitution. It is human trafficking. Whether the whether the young man in question is 17 years, 364 days, or whether he's 23, it, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. You're telling a young guy, we're going to send you up to the U.S. We're going to take care of you. We'll provide you with everything you need, but you have to provide sodomy. You have you're being brought up there for the purpose of providing sodomy. I'm, I'm sorry. This is this is human trafficking. This is human trafficking. So that this kind of segues into the next general category of all of these excuses that we are going to be hearing and we already are hearing 
about what these faggots, what these sodomite prelates, what the Donald Whirls and all the rest of them, all the excuses that they're going to make about how, well, really nothing, nothing illegal is going on here, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the, the tax that they're going to take. So I've got my long list here. So what, what's the one I need to cross off? What did we just talk about? Oh, the fact that they're all, um, they, you know, age of consent or they're all legal adults. W- read this reportage about what's going on. And, and that is always, you know, put out front and center, you know, no uh, adult boundary violations. This this is the new this is the new buzz term that they're using. Adult boundary violations. You know what an adult boundary violation means? It means that one adult man, a sodomite, sexually assaulted an adult man. That's what that boundary violation means. He sexually assaulted him. But he, and again, this is going to get graphic, so hashtag, you know, well, welcome to the Barnhart podcast where pretty much all we talk about is um, sacrilegious sodomy, you know? <laughs> Great. What it means, what they're talking about is that one cleric or prelate sexually assaulted an adult man but did not penetrate the, the rectal vault. He didn't actually insert his penis into the guy's rectum. So what does this mean? It means he grabbed his genitals. And again, this is, this is another thing I had, I had a having conversations about this with people. And one guy made a, made a really prescient uh, observation. He said, look, you know, I, as a, you know, young, single, poor guy, we'd go places, you know, go on trips or whatever, go on camping trips, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you're, you're, you're out with your male friend and, you know, you're poor. So we, we get a hotel room when we go on this trip and, you know, it's a big king size bed. And so, yeah, I've slept in a bed with, with another guy before. Yeah. It's no big deal. Said, here's the deal. Two guys sleeping in a bed. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. The second, the second one guy reaches over and grabs the other guy's Johnson, that is sexual assault. That is sexual assault, pure and simple. And the guy who got grabbed has the right to physically defend himself with the utmost vigor to fight the guy off, and then he has the right to call the police and file charges of sexual assault. You grab somebody's genitals, it's sexual assault. Grabbing genitals is the pastime of these the Donald Whirls and the, and the McCarricks and all the rest of them. This is just what they do. They go, they get around young priests, they you know troll seminaries and all this stuff, and what do they do? They they focus in. They f- try to find a guy that they think is a fag, um, maybe is vulnerable, whatever. And and they they walk up and they grab his genitals. They they are going to try to convince the world that this just this isn't even a crime. This is just you know this is just something people do. That this is completely normal. This is um you know just a completely normal paradigm in the sodomitical world. This is this is just what we do. 
they're going to try to convince you that sexual assault isn't sexual assault. And it is. Um, and so look for that. When you see adult boundary violation, I'm telling you, man, that's what it is. It's, it's some fag grabbing some guy in the crotch. That's what it is. And you're going to keep seeing this and hearing this and they're going to try to play it down. Um, Oh, the other thing, the other buzz term that you're going to be hearing, vulnerable adults. We have to have a meeting to discuss the defense of children and vulnerable adults. Uh, vulnerable adults means people who are mentally retarded or mentally incapacitated because of something like Alzheimer's or just general dementia. Um, a 22-year-old seminarian is not a vulnerable adult. He's a completely healthy, able-bodied adult man. Um, so when they're talking about, well, we have to, we have to have these, these um, we have to establish guidelines for the protection of children and vulnerable adults, understand that doesn't include all adult men, including all seminarians. That, that they are not contained in, in that parameter because these faggots their entire raison d'etre, their their reason to get out of bed in the morning is they want to go cruise for sex, for sodomy, for sexual assault with hot young priests and seminarians. And, you know, if there are any gay men in their parish or, or vulnerable, vulnerable men or vul vulnerable in the sense of just um, maybe emotionally vulnerable. We're not talking about being mentally retarded, mentally impaired, or having dementia. We're just talking about people who are emotionally vulnerable. Maybe people who, who are drug users or something like that. People who are addicted to alcohol, things like that. That they're, they're excluding all of those people when they're talking about, oh, we have to have guidelines for protecting vulnerable adults. So be very attuned to that and listen for that. And if you hear these, these sodomite clerics and prelates talking about this, the, the light bulb should go off over your head instantly. Okay. This guy, this guy's one of them. He's, he's gaming the system here. That's what he's doing. Um, penetration, no penetration. I've seen all kinds of people talk about this, make this argument. It's absolutely disgusting. Well, you know, there was no penetration. There was no oral penetration. There was no anal penetration. So, you know, technically no crime was committed. I mean, first of all, yes, a crime was committed because grabbing someone, just grabbing someone with your hand is sexual assault. And uh, numbers, I mean, is that, is that seriously, is that, is that the standard that we're, that we're all going to live by now? Whether or not somebody shoves something up through someone's anal sphincter is the boundary by which we determine whether or not a crime has been committed. This, this, is, this is abject insanity. The other thing to be very careful about is, again, this notion of, well, you know, there, there, no crime was committed. Nothing, nothing in canon law. There's nothing in canon law that says a, that a crime. What are you talking about? A man does anything sexual to another man that is, a, that is against natural law. It's against divine law. And this is a this is a problem with why this catastrophe of decriminalizing sodomy, you decriminalize sodomy and you say, well, you know, no civil laws were broken. So, you know, what do you do? Oh, well, 
No, no civil laws broken, no harm done. They're going to keep pounding this. They're going to keep driving this. And you, you've got to be ready to fight back against that. And you say, no, it is, it is a, it is a testament to how far gone our society is and how much our society has rejected Christ that sodomy isn't a, a, a felony. Much, I mean, at this point, we take it as being a misdemeanor. It should be a felony. In fact, it should be capital. You know, um, in, in you saying that, I just realized for the first time a potential silver lining of the Islamic invasion of Europe. They might put that vice down. Oh, no. No, 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 no. They're the worst. So- they, per capita, they're the worst sodomites on the planet. Tongue firmly planted in cheek, of course. Yeah, but that, uh, that's, the big, that's the big thing that a lot of... Um, pro-liberty groups like to point out to is that, hey, in, in the Muslim world, they kill sodomites. We don't they want that. They throw them off of rooftops, yes. I hear that all the time. Well, it, it should be a criminal offense. Um, but the, the, the issue with, with the Islamic world is that it, it has nothing to do with sodomy. It's used for uh, vendettas and, you know, it's just whoever you want to get rid of, essentially, because let's face it, the vast majority of men in the Islamic world have at some point or are engaged in um, man on man or man on boy that it's it's almost ubiquitous. It's almost ubiquitous. So it's what they do is they used their quote unquote anisotomy laws as a way to selectively get rid of people that they want to get rid of. Um, it's kind of like the honor killing thing. You know, you make, if, if, if according to Sharia law, if some woman walks down the street and makes eye contact with a man, then you can, you are licitly permitted to murder her under, you know, honor killing codes or something like that. What that just means is that you're giving Every every man, every father, every brother, uncle, whatever, you're giving him essentially license to murder whoever he wants, any woman in his family that he wants to, and also potentially to murder other men. Because you can say, well, you know, you made eye contact with my niece, so now I have to kill you. But really, the reason you're killing him is because he's getting ready to open up a store that's going to go into competition with your store or something like that. Don't don't be fooled by this. That's what all of that is about. Um so the whole no civil laws were broken. Be be very careful about that. Um, let's see what's next on my list of things of guilt deflection. Um, oh, you'll hear they use this. The sodomites use this amongst themselves and have for years and years. Um, and they use it when they're grooming their victims. What they say is that the vow of celibacy that they take only prohibits them from getting married. And obviously, up until just not too terribly long ago, getting married meant obviously marrying a woman. Duh. So you take a vow of celibacy. What the faggots argue is all that means, all I have vowed to the church is that I will never marry a woman. But that has nothing to do with what I do with men, you see. So they, they... they use that the semantics 
of saying, well, I've observed my vow of celibacy. I have not married a woman. Well, you have no interest in marrying a woman, you filthy, disgusting faggot. You have an interest in in cruising for 15-year-old boys. And he tells the 15-year-old boy that this is all fine because I'm not breaking the vow of celibacy. We're not breaking the vow of celibacy. Um, So be on the lookout for that. The other thing, argument that they made, and they've been making this argument for decades and decades and decades, I knew, even before I converted, I knew a priest who was in seminary in the early 1960s. He would have been ordained, I don't know, right? He would have been ordained probably during the council, like 65 or right right at the end of the council. And he said, even then, in seminary, there were there were sodomites. And what they would say is that, you know, the, the sodomites would all flock together and they would go out and they would go to gay bars, even in, in the 60s. Um, obviously, the, this was all going on. And the, the straight guys in the seminary would say something and say, you, this is, you can't do this. This is disgusting. And they would say back, you don't understand. We are different. We as sodomites are different. And we have needs. And that, those were exactly the words that he used. He said, they would say to us, we have needs. And we have needs that you don't have. We're different. And so we get to go do this, meaning go out and engage in sodomy. Um, and if you've seen the video that went around not too long ago, um, of it was the, the really horrific video of the guy who went into it was like a nursing home and he went and he had a, he had a hidden camera on his, on his lapel and he was talking to that old priest who was laying in the bed in the nursing home. And the priest was a pedophile. I believe it was in Argentina or the priest was Italian, but it moved, it was in that associated with that, um, the school for the deaf and all of that. And this old man priest was a pedophile and he had molested all these boys. And this old priest is lying there and this guy gets into his room and starts talking to him. And the priest just starts openly talking about the fact that they were molesting all these deaf kids and what they were doing. And, and the priest said, Oh, it's just a joke. You know I mean? You know, if you did something with a woman, that would be one thing, but you know, and one of the things that this old priest said is that, you know, sometimes you just have to unload. He said that several times. Sometimes you just have to unload and understand what he means by unload. He means you unload into the into the mouth or the rectal vault of a deaf, disabled um, child, boy. That's what he means by unload. Sometimes you just have to unload. You just have to, you know, get your sexual tension out. Um and this is an argument that, again, that they, they've made for decades and decades and decades and that they will continue. They keep doing this, the James Martins, this whole notion that chastity is just this completely unrealistic, unbearable burden that is impossible, impossible for human beings to, to abide by. This is the point that's, that they try to make in Amoris Laetitia. This is why, you know, the Bergolian anti-papacy has to be publicly recognized as an anti-papacy and the whole thing be nullified. So this crap like Amoris Laetitia, it just goes away. The, the, the fact that the notion that anyone should be sitting around talking about this crap at all 
is just, it's, it's so unnecessary and it's so stupid. He's an anti-pope. He has no magisterium. This, is, this has nothing to do with the Catholic Church or Catholic magisterium. But one of the things that that damn chapter 8 in Amoris Laetitia, it says in, in that document that, you know, these, these things are just too difficult. And these are ideals that, you know, we kind of sort of strive for. I guess, but you know, they're just ideals. They're not, they're not concrete realities. Chastity is an unbearable burden, especially for sodomites who have needs. Uh, This is all part and parcel. They've sodomites have long claimed. And I've, I've written about this and talked about this. They openly claim that they are different and they are elite. They are superior that their, their homosexuality and their lust for teenage boys is, in fact, a manifestation of their superior state of being, that they are more fully evolved, that they are more intellectually uh, sophisticated, and that they are superior human beings, and that their homosexuality is, is just an, indica- is an indicator of this. And so for them to not be homosexual... For them to not be lusting after hot twinks is that would that would be a step down for them. That would be a massive step down. Of course not. We we're better than that. We're sophisticated. You know, you know who heterosexual sex is for? It's for the peasants. It's for the working class. It's for the 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 dolts, the the plebs. That that's who it's for. It's not for us. They're the breeders. They're the farm animals. You let them go. You let the the lower working class, you let them go out and breed like animals. We, the intellectuals, we are far evolved beyond that. And a manifestation of our evolution is the fact that we are homosexuals and pederasts. I, I think there's a lot of people, especially in the United States, who don't get that at all. I think listeners in the UK and in continental Europe, I think they'll say, oh, oh, yeah, we know what she's talking about. We know what she's talking about. I think a lot of people in the U.S. just don't get that at all, that there's that sense of elitism. Let's see. Is there anything else on my list here? Age of consent, boundary violations, vulnerable adults, penetration, no penetration, no civil laws were broken, vow of celibacy only means you can't marry a woman, chastity is an unbearable burden, and sodomites claim that they are elite and different. Nope, that is my entire list. Super nerd, what do you have to say about sacrilegious sodomy? I have nothing to say about it because I have no knowledge of it. Well, I don't directly either, but yeah. I, w- I, wish, I wish I could be more like you. I wish I could not know as much as I know about this. God I knows. certainly don't endorse it. <laughs> don't stick your neck out or anything. <laughs> well said. I want to go back to something you said a lot earlier, um, okay. talking about uh, it's time for Caesar to get involved with, with the church. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so sure that's a great idea. Because ah, I hear you. when Caesar gets case. involved, he's not going to get out of the picture. So if you have a situation where the government starts having oversight, now you're going to start saying, well, why? Especially in the United States where we have the First Amendment separation of church and state. Actually, for those who really understand this, that's not in the First Amendment. That's actually a Masonic principle of separating Mm -hmm. church and state. 
And it, it, the First Amendment says that the government shall make no laws respecting or prohibiting religion. But in terms of regulating or getting involved or, or calling in attorneys general to investigate the Catholic Church in their jurisdiction, now you are saying the Catholic Church does not have autonomy anymore to do its own thing. And I don't mean that in the sense of being able to commit sins, but you, it, it, it's, it's a lot worse than a slippery slope. Um, you, I guess I, one, one of the first places where it goes is, okay, so what did somebody say in confession? Yeah, well, that there's yeah. a sacramental seal you. there. It, it can that cannot be undone by anybody. Yep. I mean, there are saints who are in heaven who are martyred because they would not reveal a seal. And I would not want a situation where it becomes a a requirement or a a precedent where some unworthy bishop in the past said, "We have situations here going on. Bring the government in. Go ahead and wiretap the confessionals." find the people who are guilty and arrest them and we'll lay aside them after the fact. No, that's outsourcing yeah, yeah. the job you were supposed to do and you will burn in hell if you bring uh, Caesar into the, into the situation here, in, in, into the equation. Because honestly, you know, Caesar was somebody who, who worshipped the gods of the Gentiles. And Psalms 95.5, all the gods of the Gentiles are demons. So you're... Mm-hmm. You're you're bringing somebody who doesn't have the interests of God in heart in, in mind to begin with to come in and exercise jurisdiction over the affairs of the church. And while, but, but then, but but I mean, sexually assaulting children is that you you've just now entered into the civil domain when you do that. Yes, so you know if you have a child who openly says. Or, you know, a teenager who says that priest right there, he sexually assaulted me. I mean, do we do we necessarily have to get the seal of the confessional tangled up in this at all? That's where it's going to go. Yeah. And this is this is the satanic three dimensional chess that's going on. And it's a situation where you look back to, you know, the, the testimony of Bella Dodd and putting in intentionally a bunch of communists into the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And I was just just heard this recently. I can't remember the context now, where the suggestion that was made of of those thousand or eleven hundred communists that were put into the priesthood, the majority were probably homosexuals. Mm-hmm. The whole point was to set this up so that it was reasonable for the church to get involved to set up a situation where there was no reasonable expectation by competent civil authorities that the church could or would police themselves. Mm, therefore, and that's where we are. Yeah. Therefore, you have to contemplate things like bring RICO statutes into play mm-hmm. against all Catholic dioceses. I've seen that in the news. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's the big conversation. Is it? Do we go after this using the RICO statutes? And for those listeners who don't know, RICO stands for R I C O racketeering influenced criminal organization. Obviously Rico statutes were first written to go after the mafia, a great Catholic organization, a great Catholic organization. Yes. (laughs) So racketeering, what that technically means is that you're using a legitimate front 
So in terms of let's think about, you know, like the Godfather and New York and the mafia up there, what would you have? You would have a construction business where you're actually doing construction work or you would have a dry cleaning store or a gas station. You would have a legitimate front business, but it's just being used as a front so that behind the scenes, there's criminal activity going on behind the scenes. So for example, if someone owned a service station and the service station operates and it sells gas and it sells potato chips and pop and all of that, but the owner of the service station is running a loan sharking business out of the back office. And that's, you know, that's the moneymaker in the deal. That is racketeering. And that's how the mob operates. Now, if you think about it, what what do we have now and what is the argument that's being made? You've got the anti-church in place. They are using the false front facade of this, this satanic construction of an admixture of the true church and the anti-church, which is Father Linus Clovis brilliantly says today occupies the same liturgical, sacramental, and juridical space. So you've got the two mixed up together. And so they're using the church slash anti-church as the legitimate front for what's going on behind, which is human trafficking, um, um, you know, money laundering in terms of uh, healthcare services and so forth. By the way, um, the um, one of the top prelates in the Archdiocese of New York, under Cardinal Dolan, who is a raging, raging sodomite and runs the whole sodomite mafia in the church in the Diocese of New York City. Um, they, it was just announced, like yesterday or today, that they are starting a criminal. The, the Attorney General in um, New York is starting a, a criminal probe. And so what did they do? They removed this guy who's like the number three in the Archdiocese of New York and sent him off and made him the CEO of a $3 billion Catholic um, health services fund, which basically means they made him a hedge fund manager. They made him a hedge fund manager. So he's going to be managing like a $3 billion, basically bond portfolio and derivatives portfolio under the umbrella of um, a Catholic healthcare fund or something like that called Mother Cabrini or something like that, I think. So, I mean, pure racketeering. And then obviously, obviously the child sex, the pedophile rings, the, the child sex trafficking, the human trafficking, as we were talking about, of moving like the Latin American fag seminarians up as a quid, prid, quid pro quo for sodomy. Um, so, yeah, racketeering. It's hard. I mean, I can see this argument. I can see how all of this just falls beautifully under the RICO statutes. Now, I'll let you go again, super nerd. You got to talk the other side of this. Oh, I, I was just going to say that you don't want to open the door to that because once, once, once that the nose of the camel gets under the tent, it's not coming out. But what do we do? <laughs> how how do we have law enforcement against this criminal activity of these sodomites without involving 
um, secular law enforcement. I guess we have to find the criminals, get the evidence ourselves, and bring it to law enforcement and say, look, you're not coming into our organizations, into the church, and do, and snooping around. We're going to bring the criminals to you with the proof. So that's, we need, that's one we need whistleblowers. We need more whistleblowers is what you're saying. Yeah. How about, yeah. How about uh, like a James O'Keefe, Project Veritas? Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I... I posted, I was posting about this last year when the Me Too and the Harvey Weinstein and all that started. I made a post that said, what we need, we need a Me Too movement in in the Catholic Church with seminarians and all this, and we've got that. And then what I attached to that was, we need James O'Keefe style hidden camera, uh, you know, exposés. We need hidden camera stuff. We need seminarians to get together, go to the electronic store, find out whatever these cameras are that that these James O'Keefe and also the people who are doing the exposés on, you know, Planned Parenthood and, you know, selling the baby parts and everything, they're using the same technology, um, these cameras. And we, oh, we desperately need hidden camera footage of these guys. And just because we were talking about the seal of, of the confessional a few minutes ago, not not never in in the context of the confessional and that includes people thinking oh i'm going to go make i'm going to go make a false confession and see if i can coax a priest to say no 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 horrible horrible sin sacrilege you cannot do that but what you can do is if you're one of these seminarians and these bishops or these other or these priests or the, you know, the rector of the seminary or whatever, if these guys are openly going around and trolling and flirting and grabbing guys and propositioning guys for sex, which apparently this this is pretty much standard. You know, this is this is what McCarrick did for years. This is what world do, did, does all these guys. They would just go and troll these seminaries cruising, cruising for sodomitical hookups. Okay. If you're in one of these pink palaces, if you're in one of these seminaries and this crap is going on, you know, this technology with these hidden cameras, it's, it's gotta be affordable. You've got to be able to somehow get together family, friends, whatever crowdfund something like this and do some hidden camera operations. And let's get some of these guys on video. Let's get this done. Yes, it, we it's need very, to do that. It's very affordable. And uh, anybody who's been following my Twitter feed over the last month has seen me make some references to Steve Rombaum, who is a who who owns an international private investigative service. He's been in digital investigations for years and years and years. And he has spoken at a a, a group called Hackers on Planet Earth. They do a conference called Hope Conference. They do this every two years. And um, I want to say six years back, uh, he, people who ask good questions during his talk, he will give them some kind of tchotchke, some kind of giveaway. What well, was T-shirts for a long time, but one one year, and it caught my attention because of just the price difference. Um, a good T-shirt costs fifteen bucks to have made, and he said, I'll, "If you ask a good question, I'll give you one of these pens that I'm using right now in my pocket to record audio and video of the entire audience of the whole, everything going on." It's like, wait, no 15, way. fifteen bucks. This was six seven years ago. Oh, the, wow. the ability to have super small, super hidden, more than good enough to stand up in the court of law mm-hmm. if you're not a law enforcement officer. And of course, if you are a law, law enforcement officer, I don't need to tell you this, but 
in terms of the ability to uh, covertly record things, um, mm-hmm. it's easy these days. Super easy. Yep. Well, that's what we need. Um, as I've been saying, I mean, I remember years ago now, I remember having being haughtily lectured to by a sodomite who later turned out to be, I later found out, one of the most notorious layman sodomites in the Vatican today. Um haughtily lectured me that it is a mortal sin to even suspect someone of being a sodomite without, and I quote, videographic evidence. All right, if that's what you filthy fags want, let's let's get on it, folks. Let's do this. Let's get videographic evidence on these filthy sodomite perverts. And let's let's get it so that we can go to the civil authorities and say, all right, we've got the evidence here. You don't need to be, you know, we don't need to be um, putting putting the church under Caesar or anything like that. I'll hand, here's the video. Here it is. Go get them. Um, yeah, we, we need to get on this and we need to be way more proactive on this. Definitely. Actually, if, if you're in a situation where you could collect evidence like that, talk to a good Catholic lawyer first. Because you want mm-hmm. to make this slam dunk. And mm-hmm. in, in the Latin, I don't know if it's all Latin mass communities, but where I go to church, there is a disproportionate number of lawyers. and Well, lawyers yeah. and doctors. Um, they're, they're not rich. They have huge families. But there, there are a lot of lawyers around, um, at least one yep. prosecutor of which I know. And um, say, hey, here's the scenario. I know I can get this kind of evidence. How do I go about this in a way that will be a slam dunk conviction? Mm-hmm. And I mean, just one, one that I think probably most of the listeners, one name that everyone knows. And, you know, Chris and I have had our, our static between us and all that. But Chris Ferrara is a lawyer and he's like kind of a ferocious lawyer. But he's not, he a, would, he's not a criminal prosecutor. He's not, he's not a criminal prosecutor, but oh, I'm, I'm sure he's a, he's a member or the president of like the Catholic Catholic Lawyers Association or something like that. Go over to go over and, and Google him and find him on on the remnant. And it says there in his little bio, he he's the head of a Catholic lawyers group. He could totally put you in contact if if there isn't already one in your parish or two or three. Yeah, there tend to be a lot of um, a lot of professionals like that. Lots of doctors, lots of lawyers, lots of accountants. Yeah, so or you should this, be able to find something. If this is something where you want cutouts and you don't want to have, you, you want to have the proper um, professional opinion on this. People who you know, people who are actual criminal prosecutors. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and email me, supernerdmedia at gmail.com. I just mentioned that I know a few prosecutors. And as a matter, it will get you in touch with the right kind of person. Yeah. Even if it's it ends not up, difficult. Even if, if, even if you end up getting a phone call from somebody who's, who identifies themselves as Prosecutor Shapiro, we're going to go through the proper chains to make sure that you're going to get this done in an airtight manner and proper anonymity and proper cutouts are maintained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we, the days of just sitting and waiting for, for this to just take care of itself, it's not going to. We're going to have to do this. The lay people are going to have to be the driving force in all of this. That That is crystal clear. That is obvious. So if let's get about it. If we don't, then the satanic forces are going to seize as an opportunity to come in and take over themselves. 
Yep, that's right. Even more than they already have. <laughs> it, it will get worse and it can get worse. So yep. uh, we're, we're pretty much guaranteed it will get worse at some point. They will yeah. be thrown in jail just for being Catholic. We're going to be killed just for being Catholic, which gets into another email that somebody came in. How do I prepare for martyrdom? The short answer is pray, do penance. Mm-hmm. You die the way you live. And if you aren't living in the way that you could lay down your life right now, if Christ calls you to do it, then step it up a minute. We were talking earlier about, about effeminacy, not doing the arduous good. Mm-hmm. If, if you have a sense of sorrow that, uh, oh, tomorrow is, a, is an ember day, which, by the way, tomorrow is an ember day, tomorrow by the way. Tomorrow is an ember day. <laughs> which, when you're listening to this, it is an ember day, probably, because I'm not going to yeah. publish this tonight. But uh, Wednesday, if, Friday, Saturday, you yes, guys. Wednesday, if, Friday, Saturday. If you look forward to things like ember days and fast days, oh, crap, I got to do this, as opposed to, awesome, I get to mortify my soul for Jesus. Then that's where you need to start your work. How do you prepare mm-hmm. for martyrdom? Put in the work. Put in the work and um, th- th- uh, um, psychological pre-preparation, as with anything. You know, if you go to any of the firearms training schools or anything like that, one of the things that they talk about a lot is, you know, you need to be running through scenarios in your mind all the time. Not that you can perfectly predict how, how any given situation is going to play out because you can't, but you do need to do the mental exercise of thinking about, okay, what would I do if this and such happened? What would I do if that and such happened? You also do this with driving. What would I do if a deer ran out in front of the car and I hit a deer? Would I swerve into the ditch and cross the median and kill a family coming in a minivan and oncoming traffic? Or would I hold the steering wheel straight and, and you know plow as straight as I could through the deer that I hit? Thinking in advance about these things, what would I do if, you know, as a woman, you th- I think about this all the time, what will I do if I am grabbed on the street by musloids, overpowered, raped and killed? You know, what, what is my psychological frame of mind going to be? What will my psychological frame of mind be if I am arrested? What will it be if I am at some point in the future public, publicly executed? Um, what will it be if I am tortured? Um, et cetera. You, you have to think about these things in advance. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to wait and live in the moment. And when it happens, it happens. Eh, that, that's that's not the most intelligent way to go about this. Now, obviously, if you have, you know, the, the Holy Ghost will can come upon you and does come upon the martyrs often. Um, and, you know, there is a sense of peace there. And there there is, there is assistance that comes from the Holy Ghost. But you also have to, you know, contribute to this yourself, too. And you should want to. Um, so that you are in a proper frame of mind to think about and react to these things and to die well. Think think about how if it comes that you die unnaturally. You want to die well. You want to die composed. You don't want to be panicking because you're going to want to be specifically praying. You're you're going to be wanting to say specific things to our Lord. You're going to want to be um enjoining various saints, you know, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, whoever, whoever your particular saints are, your guardian angel, Saint Michael, you're going to want to have the presence of mind 
and the clarity of thought to be able to pray, to be able to think about our Lord's passion while you are potentially being raped, tortured, and then maybe even executed. Or even if it happens fast, you know, if someone comes and there's a gun to your head or something like that, and it all happens very quick, you still want to be able to have that that presence of mind to be able to have the last thing that you think on this earth or to be able to spit out of your mouth the very last thing in that second when the gum, gun is coming towards your head to blow your head off, you want the last words to come out of your mouth to be Jesus' mercy. You want to have that presence of mind. So think about these things. I mean, don't be don't be morbid and fixated. That's that's not what I'm saying. And it doesn't turn you into some sort of a weird, bizarre black trench coat wearing psycho or anything. But being being a mature adult and thinking about these things in advance is is an adult thing to do and a good thing to do. Well, if you want to die with the name of Jesus on your lips and praying and offering your your life as a sacrifice for your own sins and for the sins of others, you die the way you live. So if you want to be a martyr, whether or not you're called upon to do it or not, you've got to see to your own sanctification every single day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, prepare every single minute that, you know, as we're recording, it's, you know, almost 11 o'clock p.m. local time. If at 11.01 I'm called to answer before God, be ready at all times. Be ready. And if you're not, go find a priest and get ready. And that's the first step. Then you step it up from there. Find somebody, and it doesn't matter where you are, I'm sure you can find somebody who, who has run a marathon at one point in their life. If you play video games eight days a week and you don't eat anything healthy, do you think it, by a sheer force of will you're going to get up and go run a marathon? Right. It takes practice. Change your diet. Start small. Start walking. Start running 100 meters. Start running a mile. You've got to work up to it. Mm-hmm. A martyrdom is the, the ultimate marathon for Christ. And you can't just make it an act of, of, of will and faith at one particular time and you're going to get the grace. I mean, if you've been flipping off God your entire life and say, oh, I want to be a witness for you. You think God's going <laughs> to respond to that? And it, in terms of, you made the, the blog post recently about the, the martyr, we don't even know his name, mm-hmm. but he, he made the act of faith to join the martyrs who were being killed he wasn't Christian up to this point. And, and for you Phineites, it's called baptism of blood. It's real. Deal with it. Um, I would love to know, and this is going to be one of the cool parts in heaven, to find out their entire backstory, because this is not going to be an effeminate person. This is, no. somebody, <laughs> this is somebody who had massive amounts of virtue in the natural sense that prepared them that when they received the inspiration for supernatural grace, they responded at 120%. Mm-hmm. They recognized the truth in front of their, their, their face. And they, they said, I'm, I, this is what I want. I feel it with every fiber of my being. It's been what I've been looking for. I believe in what they believe. I believe in Christ. There's another example of this. Um, the, the nuns who were killed at the end of the terror that were ex that were beheaded, um, Called the, the, the or however you say that in French. Yeah, yeah. The the they were Carmelites, right? Yes. And they um so they haul them all out into the town square. What one by one they guillotine every one of them. And when the the mother, Mother Superior, was the last one, because all of the nuns went and asked her permission to be executed, and she gave permission for each one of them to then climb climb the the staircase and be beheaded 
And then mother went up and mother was beheaded. And there was a girl in the crowd who had been um, a novice or a postulant or whatever, but she had gotten out and she's standing in the crowd and she's in civilian clothes and she, she could have just walked away at that point. And as mother was beheaded, she stepped forward and walked up the, walked up the stairs and, and mounted the guillotine and offered herself as well. Um, that that's clearly an inspiration of the Holy ghost because she had been, uh, a novice or a postulant with them. And so, yeah, it happens. It absolutely happens. And there's, um, a story in uh, the book is called the catechist. I believe it's the last story in there too. It's, it's, um, something like the, the replacement martyr. And it's, it's the, the story of a group of 40 Christian Roman soldiers who were, um, sentenced to death by being put out on a frozen pond or frozen lake in the middle of the winter to freeze to death because they would not renounce their, their, their Catholic faith. And during the night, one of them apostatized. He went over to the, to the bonfire to warm himself, um, to, to not lose his life. By the way, he ended up dying anyway, but the extraordinary display of faith of the other 39, one of the others who wasn't Christian took his place. Mm -hmm. Again, I want to find out, that guy's backstory and in heaven yeah. we're going to find out about this kind of stuff because you know this is not the kind of person who went and spent his his uh his soldiers pay on drinking and women he mm -hmm. probably was helping people he probably had genuine charity but never understood the supernatural realities of it and in that moment was given the light and and responded to it and so if you want to be a martyr you've got to respond to god's grace all the time it, yep. It's it's not up to you to be a martyr. It's up to God to call you. I mean, St. Francis, the original, real St. Francis, he, he was he used to be a soldier. And, and that's something I had forgotten about until I heard recently in a podcast. I'd forgotten about that. He he was he had he was on fire with, with love for Christ. He wanted to be a martyr. He went to Egypt and preached to the Sultan to convert. Because he figured yeah. that was probably the best way to to be a martyr is you go, well, where's the head of the snake? I'm gonna go tell him to be to convert. Yep. And yeah, St. Francis was is is one of the most maligned saints now that he's painted as this frankly effeminate um hippie um uh, almost pagan. Almost he's almost given a pagan persona and it's just it's just awful. And of course now his name has been completely sullied, but um yeah, yeah, St. Francis, the real biography of St. Francis, the real guy. Um, manly man. All I think all of them are going to prove. All of them will obviously prove to have been very impressive manly men, especially by today's standards. Well, and there are some rumors that the Sultan actually did convert, although uh, in in weakness and human respect, he didn't make it public. He did it on his deathbed. But uh, what the Sultan certainly did was forbid anybody to harm Friar Francis. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So. Francis went into the belly of the beast to the head of the snake, said, you've got to repent and convinced him at least as far as he's got safe passage to wherever he wants to go. Right. And, and the Franciscans uh, as, as a general rule, because of Francis were given safe passage throughout the, throughout the Holy land, throughout the, the Muslim controlled territories. Um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate when you think about what the Franciscans and the Jesuits have become two of the, yeah. two of the great orders founded by soldiers 
mm-hmm. who who had real zeal and converted souls for so long. You know, the whole church is has problems, but well, it's, the Jesuits. I mean, the, I I I don't consider the Jesuit what the people who call themselves Jesuits today. I don't consider that to be the Jesuit orders founded by St. Ignatius. Um, obviously it's a, it's a den of sodomites, all of that. And, you know, they were suppressed, they were suppressed and then they came back and, and I, I just can't, I can't bring myself to intellectually grasp the idea that this monstrosity that, that these people who call themselves Jesuits today, that this monstrosity is in any way related to St. Ignatius. It's just, it's, it's insulting. I'm, I'm, I'm offended on St. Ignatius's behalf. I'm sure he is too. And yeah, <laughs> it's, it's one of those, those weird, you know, fantasies I have at times. If he could come back and wield a sword, whose heads yeah. would be rolling right now? Oh, yes. Yeah. What a movie that would make. That would be pretty cool. Well, Super Nerd, what do you think? What's our time check? Uh, one hour, 48 minutes-ish. No, well, there you go. I think we should call it. <laughs> we, we took a long enough break between the last podcast and now. It's been, what, 13 days? Yeah, so. that's all right. That's all right. There's been plenty going on and plenty of uh, written content on the old website. And just very, very quick, everybody's kind of asking, how's how's the tiny princess doing? Um, she has had better days and better weeks. Um, mm-hmm. just went to the hospital today to inquire about, uh, having a gastric tube inserted through, they call it a G tube through the stomach. Mm-hmm. And, um, we don't know whether or not that's going to happen or not. It's, she's got a lot of mental or not mental medical complications. So, um, it may or may not happen. We don't know, but, uh, she's, she's had some issues this last week where we think she's got an ulcer and, um, um, it, it's, it's weird in a sense because from one week to the next, you know, babies with this condition aren't supposed to even live to six months and we're coming up close to that, uh, next mm-hmm. month. Feast of the Holy Rosary will be six months. Um, Our Lady of Victory. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some times where it's like, she's going to blow away past this and, and, the question is, well, how how long will we have in our, have her in our life? And there, then there are other days where she may, may not live to see the sunset. And it's just yeah. a constant yo-yo, which I mean, that's that's hard on 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 her mom. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine what that's like. Um. I mean, it, it's hard enough on me, but I'm I'm a dude. I'm a little more emotionally detached. I I see the, the duties and responsibilities of everything going on. I'm not the heart of the family, so I can't imagine how hard that is. And I know it's hard. I see the evidence of how hard it is on my wife. But, um, yeah, it's we really don't know from one day. I mean, she's still alive. I mean, to answer the question succinctly, yeah. she's still alive. She's still with us for now, but we don't know for how much longer. Yeah. Well, be assured of our prayers. Like I said, I tell you all the time, I wish I could come and help, but... You know the situation. You know yep. that I can't, but I yep. I wish I could. I wish I could come and snuggle and give her a big kiss and I'd take some night shifts for you guys so you guys could get some sleep. Although you 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 are getting some help, but you don't have help every night, right? Not every night. And yeah. uh, we're kind of in a drought in the last four or five days in that respect as well. I mean, we, um, 
she did qualify for Medicare. So there, there is, there is some, it, which was weird when, when somebody at the hospital mentioned that it's like, I don't know if I, if we qualify, it's like, no, it's not you, dude. It's, it's her because of her condition. She's disabled. So she gets oh, Medicaid, right? She's more disabled than a member of Congress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there, there is supposed to be the ability to get, um, you know, nursing assistance and overnight, uh, assistance, you know, through, various agencies, but there's nobody available to do the work. So we, it's been what, so she just passed five months and we just found out in the last week or so, Hey, somebody found somebody, some, some, uh, staffing agency in New Jersey found our, that we had an application out there. It's like, we're nowhere near New Jersey. And I don't know how that works, but anyway, uh, we, we, we talked to the nurse and I think she's supposed to start in the next two weeks and start being available. So, um, okay. Hopefully some more help is is on the way, but uh, it, it gets to be interesting at times in terms of sleep deprivation and uh, everything that results from that. Yeah. Well, we'll lift you up in prayer, my friend. I appreciate and, it. And, and, and really super mommy, especially, like you said, um, I'm sure her, her heart is being rend, but, but it's all in I, divine gotta, providence. I've got to imagine that the ability that, as well as she has pulled through on so much so far, it's only got to be because of prayer. Because, you know, I complain about my loss of sleep. She loses more sleep than I do. Yeah. And and uh, and yet she hasn't been as sick as I have been, um, <laughs> or going half as crazy or, or slap happy or, or as mentally weird at times. Or <laughs> we were supposed to record this podcast on Friday, and I didn't notice that my network was actually working. It was just my stupid Lenovo laptop, which isn't even part of the podcasting setup here. That had a problem. And so, yeah, that's what lack of sleep does to you. Well, we, we won't hold it against you, bud. <laughs> I anyway, um, yeah, so we, I guess we can wrap this up now. Um, yep. The email address for the podcast, where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or anything else that you want Ann and I to see podcast at barnhart.biz masses for Anne's benefactors seven days a week and every single week there is a requiem mass for everybody who died in the last week uh please pray for the priests who were offering these masses um mm. we talk about satan stacking chessboards and going after after everybody who's good i guarantee you these priests have got more challenges uh in their life than they realized were going to happen when they signed up for this so please keep yeah. them in your prayers uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details, and I will update that website at some point in the future. But that's what Richard did via the P.O. Box, and Diane, John, PMJ, JPF, Michael, and Charles did via PayPal. Thank you very much. That keeps the operation funded, and we should have the the guarantee that email will keep working after um, October 1st, that should be in place in the next few days, actually. Oh, good. So that's, yeah. that's something that is non-free that we had to add on to this. So that, that, that's it definitely make liberal use, or at least I make liberal use of the fact that you, I set up the email scheme so you can make up anything left with the at sign. It still comes to me. And so it's great for segregating different cloud services. So if I'm dealing with Acme web hosting, whatever, I set up Acme at supernerdmedia.com and it all just forwards to me. There's no actual defined email address anywhere. Anyway, the hosting provider that I've been dealing with, they say October 1, that stuff doesn't fly anymore. So mm. pain in the neck because I 
didn't keep an exact spreadsheet of all the email addresses I invented. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you to uh, the folks who are, who are uh, contributing and, and supporting this. And, and uh, thank you very much to um, some guy, I guess I can put it that way, who uh, emailed in and is helping me set this up because this is an area, even, even though I'm a nerd when it comes to programming, when it comes to setting up email servers, I don't know this stuff very well. And, in I kind of vaguely know what I would have to learn, but I don't have time to do it right now. So <laughs> yeah. thank you for helping me with that. Um, and you're always better at explaining the Matthew 1720 initiative than I am. So I'll let you do that. Indeed. Matthew 1720 initiative is full 24 hour fast twice a week. Um, I do Tuesdays and Fridays generally, but you know, at your discretion, um, this week, in fact, I'll probably, in fact, because this is, these are the Ember days this week, I will do Wednesday, Friday. So there you go. Um, so, uh, the Matthew 1720 intention is that anti-Pope Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only Pope all this time, as he is. Um, That anti-Pope Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And likewise, that Pope Benedict repent of what he has done, die in a state of grace, and likewise someday achieve the beatific vision. Um, so that's the Matthew 17:20 intention. Anything less than that is not untying the knot completely and is not good enough. So it has to be a full resolution. Go big or go home. Give that big nasty knot to the Blessed Mother and trust that she can take care of this. And it will all be resolved in God's good time, and the triumph of the Immaculate Heart will come and maybe before the next podcast. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> Until then, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. God bless.